you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stork Show. Let's go. Hey, Howard. Welcome to The Andy Stork Show. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, we got introduced recently by uh, our mutual friend, Xander Fryer. And uh, for anybody who's been listening to me for a long time, I remember Xander was uh, episode 87 of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat uh, back before I changed the name to the Andy Sword Show. And I remember being uh, very fascinated by his story of leaving his career with Cisco, I think, and becoming a coach and all the thousands of dollars he had invested in development to help him build his practice. And uh, so I guess you did some work with him, right? Yep. And that's how you got to me. Yep. And he, he recommended me to you, correct? Very cool. So I hear you have a very interesting uh, entrepreneurial journey. And uh, that's definitely one of the things I'm most excited about. I mean, my podcast previously was all about entrepreneurship. I shifted it to be more about personal development, but I'm still very fascinated by entrepreneurship, being a, an entrepreneur and aspiring entrepreneur myself. And uh, I think the two of those things kind of go hand in hand because as I think you were starting to talk about before we started recording, that you've got to do a lot of work on yourself. There's so much involved if you want to be a successful entrepreneur. So we'll get into that, but I'd love to start with a little bit of your background. So tell us about uh, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay. So I am what I call being a player coach for businesses. I think a lot of business coaching is broken in that there's a lot of talking and not enough doing. Business owners are already at 100% capacity. So trying to ask them to do the things that come out of coaching take a backseat to the fires that they're putting out and the things that are urgent to their business. Secondly, some of the things that they need to do to move their business forward are not their expertise. So you can talk all you want about it and urge them all you want about it. But if they don't have some good innate abilities around marketing or sales or finance, all the talk in the world is not going to help. But actually locking elbows and charging up the hill a bit with them will create action. So the sort of the, the genesis of it is part of the backstory is that I owned a mid-sized freight and logistics business. So we were a travel agent for international cargo, about 150 people, six offices around the United States, and a lot of moving pieces and baggage and all the things that come with it. And in the recession in the late 90s, the industry hit some hard times. Our, the FedExes and UPSs of the world were giving services away for free so that they could fill up their planes and trucks. And I find myself a fairly young business owner buried in stress, worry, pressures, clients going bankrupt in the recession, banks putting pressure on us, you name it. And I spent four very lonely, stressful, worry-filled years scrapping and scraping to get the business to the point where we could get it sold in uh, January of 2000. And... Uh, if I told somebody just that part of the story, they might think that that is uh, some great glory moment in the life of an entrepreneur to, to sell yeah. a business, but it, but it wasn't. I had I remember somebody telling me that I wasn't smiling anymore. And I had just gotten into 
a grind of thinking, well, this is just what business ownership is about. It's supposed to be hard. You just grind it out. You're not supposed to have fun. And someday, maybe miraculously, things will get to the point where you'll have some big windfall or lottery moment. And that's not really true. And so after I sold it, I, I was decompressing from that and starting to think about the lessons that I learned from that. And I wanted to create some lessons, which then turned into a small book. But the overarching theme of it all was that business should be fun to run. And I, when I say fun to run, I don't mean uh, foosball tables and free beer. I mean, it's supposed to be, it's where you're spending the bulk of your days for the type of clients that I work with. Their business is everything to them. It is what pays the mortgage. It's what's going to pay for their kids to go to college or school. It's going to, and it's what is going to provide them the lifestyle they want. And ultimately it's what's going to secure their retirement or whatever next adventure they want to go on. And for a business owner, when, when the business means all of that to them, when things are not fun, it's hard for the rest of their life to be fun. So picking up from your, if you can't go through that journey without some personal development tied to it, it's going to be Groundhog Day every year. And so I think we ask business owners to grind and grind and grind every year to try to hit some number by December 31st. And then you have to essentially reinvent your business next year plus 10%. And that's a hamster wheel that I spend a lot of time trying to get clients off of. Interesting. So you sold the business in 2000. And then that, is that when you got into coaching and working with other business owners? You've been doing that since then? Yeah, I, I stayed on. We sold to a global logistics entity that I wound up being a tiny cog in a giant wheel. And, and I was uh, 33 at the time. So that wasn't very fulfilling. I felt like I had a big chunk of my career ahead of me. And so I stayed on for four or five months. And then people started approaching me. Uh, this was in the early days of the internet. So people started approaching me because we had done a lot of things on the internet to help them figure out their digital strategy. And in those conversations, the recurring theme was, I'm not having fun. When you, when you get past the, the initial conversation with a business owner who'll tell you everything is amazing and great and I love it, if they know that I went through a hard time, they might feel comfortable enough to uh, swallow their pride a little bit and say, you know what, this is not what I'd hoped it would be. And I go home at night with regret. So that started me writing in the early days of blogging. I started a blog more as a way to get my ideas formed of what I was thinking. What were the lessons I learned? Essentially, why did I go through all of that? There has to be some reason that I went through all of that. And I started, the blog turned into these little lessons that I started calling bricks. And I can tell you the, the, the origin of the story around the business brickyard was that what I felt most businesses get wrong is that they don't get the basics right. And that the basics, getting the basics right all the time is what truly great businesses always do. And too many businesses get seduced by the icing when the cake is terrible. So, I mean, it's not the easiest uh, conversation to have, but I, I want people to focus on, on the basics and the cake and how they're actually feeling. I think the most powerful question that I have after somebody tells me all about how they're doing with their business is I ask them how they feel, which takes them back a bit. It's not usually a question that you get asked in a, in a business context. And they sort of, as a long pause, sometimes a sigh, a bit of a surprise look. And then they'll say, you know what, I, 
we've been sort of business has been flat for the past four years or things are sort of stagnant or I don't have the passion that I had when I first started out. And from there, you can have a real conversation about why and what would you like it to be and then figure out the specific actions to take that start to change where you are. And the player coach approach came from realizing that I would have too many weeks and months of conversations with people asking them if they, they did the things that we talked about and nothing really happened because so-and-so quit or this client's angry. I had to put out this fire. This yeah, thing happened. Excuse, right. right. And so I said, you know what? That's not helping you. And I don't want us to be having this conversation six months from now. So little by little, I started to say, you know what? I'll go call some banks to find you a new bank. I'll interview these folks. I'll write the marketing copy. I'll go make this stuff happen. I'll go on a sales call or I'll go pitch to investors. And then stuff started to happen. I, I, you know, and in some sense, business owners need a clone of themselves for a very distinct period of time to create some momentum. And then they need to be left to then ride that wave for a while until they get to another, what Dan Sullivan calls a ceiling of complexity, where the business has now grown again and they have to reimagine it. Yeah. So I can totally relate to this as a as someone running my own business and doing a lot of different things that it, it's easy for a lot of times you say you hire a coach who's like, I need to figure things out. And the coach says, well, you need to go do X, Y, Z and go do these things. And you're like, yeah, you're right. But I have no idea when I'm going to do that because I have all this other stuff going on and fires to put out and I don't have enough employees to help me with all these things. So you're right, I need to do that. But how the hell am I ever going to do that? So you actually come in and say, not only you know, am I going to tell you what needs to be done, but I'm going to come into your business and help you do some of those things. Right. Now, not forever. You know, it's, it, right. I think, you know, otherwise then you turn into a consultant, which is, which is not the right approach. You just need, there typically are a few key crucial, however you want to say it, uh, actions or activities, stuff that has to get done quickly that will really change the paradigm of the business. It, it's what you would do if you had the time, but there's less than zero chance that most businesses are sitting around with the kind of time to completely divorce themselves of the business and go focus on something else. So, you know, I'm, I'm in it with you. Let's go do it. And let's not take forever to get it done. And then you get to enjoy the results. And that's been the, uh, the approach. And again, it's based on, boy, I wish I had that instead of four years of feeling lost and lonely running my freight business. Yeah. So let's get back to the business brickyard. And you mentioned the people choosing the icing when the cake is terrible. He's seduced by the icing when the cake is terrible. What do you mean by that? What is the icing and, and what is the cake? Are they, they're looking at potential profits for a business and not thinking about how awful it's going to be to run that business? Or what are you talking about? Uh, more, it's more of some of the easier moves to make. So let's change our website. Let's redo our logo. Let's hire a marketing agency. Let's put in a new CRM system. That stuff is, it masks the underlying issues, which are, you know, is your product worth buying? Is your service really different? Is it clear to the people that you'd love to be your clients why they should choose you? Are you speaking to things that matter to them? If you don't get that right, then the messaging on the website and your logo and your branding and all the fancy marketing and the social media stuff that people can spend a ton of time on 
will not matter. Even if you win clients with them, they'll come in and they'll go right out the door because it's, you have to find the right way to, to attract and win business. That's half of the job. And the other half of the job is to retain that business and delight them so they'll tell other people about it. Anything that isn't in those activities is costing you money and pulling away from you really being focused and turning into the kind of machine that you'd like to have your business uh, act like. And so the cake is, what do you do better than anybody else? And stop lying about it. Stop saying that you're good at this when you're not and get really clear on, on what's awesome about what you offer. And then once you hone in on it, just be relentless building momentum around it. But you first, you have to cut through all of that stuff. Then you use that messaging and you put it on your website. Then you know what to say on social media. Then you can get fancy with your branding. But ultimately, most businesses are not winning because of their site and what their logo looks like. It's because of the service or the product that they deliver being something that wows their customers. Yeah, they've developed a strong why or purpose or value proposition that really resonates with customers. And then they build strong, good branding and messaging around that. But if you don't know what that is, or it's not really matching what you do, then just redesigning a logo or a website or you know creating a tagline is probably not going to fix anything. Because right. you can really start to ask those hard questions about what you do better than anyone. What do you not do well? What is the purpose for our business? Why should customers choose us? Who is our target customer, you know, not everybody, you know, who are the people that really identify with what we bring and what problems are we solving? You've got to be able right. to answer all those questions. Right? And, that, and that's hard work. Those questions are not easy. They require sometimes for you to realize that some of your customers should not be customers. It sometimes means that you have, you know, you, some of your staff is not, are not the right people to take you where you want to go. Those are uncomfortable and difficult conversations to have. And they require some deeper conversations and some deeper level of thinking that's different than saying to a branding agency, go put a shiny coat of paint on our car, even if the engine is, is rotting, just to kill yet another analogy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's seductive to do that. You feel, you know, fresh coat of paint feels good. A new, launching a new website feels good. You get to tell everybody, check out our new website and isn't this cool and look what it does. And this, this slides this way and this slides that way. It gives you a little, uh, you know, the business equivalent of an endorphin hit to do some of those things. But then when the dust settles and you look at the performance of the business at the end of the year, again, it's flat. We just spent all that money. It's a little bit better. And now I got a, another year ahead of me. See, this is why I haven't invested that much in my own personal website yet, because I still don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I have some friends who are, you know, uh, single shingle uh, business operators, and I've yeah. helped them put together a website using Wix or Squarespace using one of their templates. Yeah. And it is in the top 10% of their industry using something as simple as that hmm. for $15 a month and about an hour's worth of time. It's just, that is not the place. Uh, I have other clients who've spent a quarter of a million dollars to build a website because it's, they feel good hiring a really expensive agency, but nothing, nothing at the end of it. They, you know, they have more money, so they spend more money. That's not, uh, going back to what I said before, if it's not involved in attracting and winning more business or it's not involved in retaining and delighting your existing customers, you shouldn't yeah. be spending money on it. Yeah, this is, these are the, the accoutrements uh, around all those other things right. you've created. I want to go back to the comment you said about talking with clients and people, business owners, 
and uh, hearing how well things are going and then asking them how they feel. And uh, I think this, this really applies to business owners, entrepreneurs, as well as I do a lot of work in the corporate world. So uh, executives and leaders in big companies, uh, you ask how people are doing or what's going on and uh, they'll kind of you know, give you the everything is fine response. It's usually busy. Oh, I'm so busy, you know, wearing busy as a badge of honor, which is a whole nother topic that, you know, bothers me. I guess ever since I got introduced to Greg McEwen and Red Essentialism, it's like, why does everybody have to be so busy? It's not really a great thing, right? But what you're saying is, you know, digging in and asking people how they feel, because even if their business is going well, like, oh, revenue is up, but I'm working like crazy. I'm never spending time with my family or I don't even like the business then what's the point? Like, why are you doing all of this if it's not fulfilling, it's not satisfying because we only get one life? Yeah, so I, I wrote a piece. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, a lot of the companies that I've worked with have, have been going through difficult times. And I, the adage, and, and it was true, that most people don't ask for help until it's too late. And I started to sort of question that. And how do I fight against that? And when I was going through the difficult times in my freight business, for a number of years, I didn't ask for help. I just kept flailing, trying things. And eventually, I, I reached out and I, I found somebody sort of that, that I've always become a mentor and a friend who I uh, have sort of modeled my work after. And I was asked, so why did I wait three years to, to ask for help, to raise my hand? Why did I just keep enduring that pain? And where I came back to was, was it, that's my pride. That as entrepreneurs or as business owners, we have this shield of pride that what would it mean if we admitted that we didn't have all the answers? What would happen? What would our friends think of us? What would my friends think of me who all thought that I was this uh, hard-charging, high-flying, 30-year-old business owner? What would they have thought if I told them that I was struggling and lost? And so that I wrote this rant uh, a couple of years ago, which was titled Fuck Your Pride, which was that not only fuck your pride, but do it so that you can build a business that makes you proud yeah. and that you feel good about. And that pride is, is at the heart of, of most of the business issues that I come up against. Why, why would they tell you that everything's fine and I'm just working really hard and all of that instead of admitting the truth and saying that they're, they're struggling or they don't know what they're doing or they're frightened or they're scared. It's pride. What, we're, we're worried about what somebody's going to think of us instead of realizing that you're not supposed to know everything. Uh, we generally have some innate abilities that, we sh that if we could only spend most of our time on, we'd be much happier in work and in life. And if we could get clear on that, and, and just say, you know what, I'm not great as an operator or I'm not great at sales and marketing. Then you could have the freedom to bring in somebody who that is their innate talents, but that requires some self-awareness and the ability to say, do I want to puff my chest out and worry about my pride while I suffer and watch my business fail? Or do I want to make a business that makes me proud where I'm actually working in the areas of my business that makes me feel like I'm not working, that energizes me, that makes me passionate to jump out of bed every morning and go to work and proud of the kind of business that I have and the people that I work with and, and the things that we're doing. And that's not an easy thing to do, but it's a, uh, it's a bit of a drumbeat I've been on for the last couple of years to get people to at least think about it and think what's the worst thing that could happen, right? I, 
I could easily come on here and say, I uh, own this $150 million revenue business and I sold it in January of 2000 as global freight company. And you should listen to me because of that. And there's plenty of entrepreneurs who go, wow, this guy, that's, that's the Holy grail. He had this big business and he yeah. ran it and he sold it and he must be flying around on jets and golden right. toilets and all of that. <laughs> and, but that's not the truth. And I found that when I started to tell the real story, many more people could relate to it. And many more people felt comfortable to come up to me after I give a talk or after they read my book and say, you know what? I'm not having fun. And could we talk about it? And I, even the people that are killing it are sometimes killing themselves while their businesses, even though they're doing great, they're miserable. Yeah. But they don't feel comfortable having that conversation and they should. It changes their life and it, cha- it actually winds up improving the business at the end of the day, dramatically. Yeah, it's amazing. I've thought a lot about this and there are a couple of big things I want to draw out of that. Number one is that vulnerability is truly what binds people, what builds trust and what builds rapport and credibility. And uh, going back to the beginning of your story, you talked about how you started blogging and sharing some of your story. And that's what attracted people to want to come talk to you and want to come work with you. Not just that, oh, you had built a business and sold it. That would certainly attract some people that say, I want to do that and maybe want to hire you. But you actually built this based on the fact that you were sharing the bad as well as the good. And people were identifying with what you'd been through and know that you've been through what they feel. And so you can help them with that. And that's often what happens when we hear from people that are struggling with the same things as us, right? So we're like, oh, yeah, I can totally relate to that person instead of being intimidated by them. And then the other thing you talked about was being willing to swallow your pride and ask for help, which is so hard for so many people, especially entrepreneurs, like you said, where you just feel like, "Ah, I got to show everybody that I've got this figured out and that uh, you know I can't show any weakness. But when you really think about it, and I was introduced to this concept by a friend, uh, Jason McKenzie, who has a book a while back, people love to help other people. Like you love to help people. And yet we refuse to ask for help because we're afraid of being seen as weak, even though you know implicitly, if you really think about it, you'd be giving your friends you'd be helping them, giving them a benefit if you let them help you, right? Because you Yeah, and, and there's a, right, there's a lot, there's so many people that would love to help out their friends, but they don't even know they're suffering. Right. Uh, I was living in Portland, Oregon for a while, and I had a, a friend who I had, would have coffee with or lunch with every couple of months who had a startup. And a year and a half into knowing him, he asked me if we could get together for coffee. And we were sitting there and he said, I think I could use your help. And I said, tell me what's going on and and how much money do you have left? And he said, 30 days. And I thought, Mm. we've known each other for a year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's only now that you, the pain is so bad that you're up against the wall (laughs) that you're willing to say this, even though we knew each other. So even in cases where where there's a relationship and the opportunity to say so, people would rather just say, oh, we're doing this and we raised another round or we're uh, doing this and we've got this big thing coming down the road. That's after those stories, that's when I always say, yeah, but how do you feel? And then, and you can get to some truth, but it is a, it is an odd dynamic to not be able to feel that not having all the answers is totally okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's say someone's listening to this and they are a business owner and they're totally identifying with this saying, 
you know, you're right. Uh, some things are going pretty well, but I'm stressed out and I don't feel excited about this business. Or, you know, you're, they're an employee, they're working for a big company in a leadership position and thinking like on the outside, things look really good, but I'm just not fulfilled with this. I feel like I'm, I'm not on the right path and I, I need to get some help. I need to change some things. What are some things that people should be thinking about, should be doing now? Well, you know, there's that old saying of admitting that there's a problem is the first step, right? So just having some clarity about, boy, you know, I'm really unhappy. And also being tired of being, of saying it. You have to have some, you know, I, I could, I could have two choices here. I could either just resign myself to the fact that this is just is, and I'll just complain to my spouse and my friends and my dog that uh, I'm unhappy. That's one choice. And the other choice is to say, you know what? I don't want to feel this way anymore. Regret is not a good way to go through life. So the only way to fix that is to say, okay. And, and this was the process I stumbled into myself was rather than say, well, that was awful what happened with my freight business and feel bad about it forever. I switched my thinking with help from friends to say, okay, well, why did I go through that? What lessons did I learn? And in, in writing and thinking about the lessons that I learned and I could create some rules and some guardrails to put up that would help inform me that if I don't like this, then what would I would like to be doing? If I don't create lessons from those experiences, then all I have to carry around with me is regret and stress and complaints. And so I th- people have to make a decision and paint a picture of the future that they'd like to have that's compelling enough to move them off the inertia that they're, they're, you know, they've been, I wrote an article about this not too long ago about that. Most people are, are that, you know, the boiling the frog story where if you slowly bring a, a frog to boil, they'll just stay in there versus dropping them into hot water where they jump out. And so, so many of us have been boiling slowly in our jobs and, and in our businesses that we just think that it's the normal. And so part of it is just some recognition that, that's not true. I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that, that, that one of the opening lines in my book is that it's hard to read the label when you're stuck inside the bottle. And so you're human for not having perspective. We're all inside of our own little hurricanes. And it takes a friend, uh, family, or bringing somebody in who is not emotionally connected to your job or, or your company or what you're doing, who can say to you, here's the way I see it from outside the bottle. And here are some of your options and here's some ways to go about it. Otherwise, you're just stuck in your normal, even if that normal is unpleasant. Yeah, so true. And I would go as far as to say there that you you need to start doing some introspective work, right? To understand where you are, what's going on, how did you get to where you are? And and recognize and appreciate that it's all been part of the journey. You can't change the past, but you can start taking steps to change the future. And um, I like that comment about getting that perspective and not really being able to read the label when you're stuck inside the bottle. And you also said that we're often stuck inside our own little hurricanes. This is why I you know, am part of a mastermind group and hire coaches and talk to mentors and part of groups where I can get perspectives on things because... Oftentimes when you, when you run stuff by your friends and by your colleagues, and especially like you said, other you know, smart people who are peers but don't have an emotional connection, they're not part of your business or maybe even part of your family, they can give you that outside perspective to say like, no, you don't need to be doing this. You could hire an assistant to help with this and we think you're better at this. 
I mean, I've learned a lot over the last couple of years about my strengths and I've learned it mostly from other people telling me, you're really good at this and not knowing it myself until I kept hearing it from other people. And so the more you're around people who are willing to give you that positive feedback and give you that advice, I think is just hugely beneficial. Yeah, there's a, there's a strange dynamic about the thing that we're all innately the best at, and for everybody that's different, but the thing that we're innately good at comes so easily to us that we don't think it has any value. Right. So we can't imagine making a career out of something that we think everybody must know how to do this. This is not difficult. Everybody must know how to do this. And so how could I ever make a living doing that? Right. And when you start to look around at what other people are and you start to figure out what your gifts are and what you're innately great at, you start to realize as you talk to another friend, it's like, well, I would have no idea how to do that. I wouldn't have the first clue how to do that. And in those nuggets start to become areas where you could say, huh, you know, there's, there's somebody, uh, there's a great example of somebody who I know who is an incredible relationship builder and, and effectively then an amazing salesperson at a massive scale. And because it, be, it comes so easily to him, he constantly wants to get involved in other aspects of the business because he can't imagine that this is enough contribution to the business because this isn't difficult. This is just what he does. He's somebody right. who's naturally gifted at creating relationships and nurturing relationships and selling right. and taking care of people. Yep. And he creates millions and millions of dollars worth of business for his company. Mm. And yet it's not, he, he feels like it's not enough because it's so simple to him. It's, you know, like shooting a basketball to somebody, you know, a pro, a pro player or a Tiger Woods swinging a golf club. It's, it just comes naturally. It's a gift. And when you realize that your gift is, if you could just be doing that all day, there's some freedom that happens to just saying, you know what, I don't have to work harder and harder and harder. I just have to figure out how to spend more and more time in the thing that I'm the best at in the world. Yep. And find other people who are great at the stuff that, and, and admit that I'm just not good at this, 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 and this. Yep. And what happens to your business and your life when you can get to expand into spending more and more time doing what you're great at and less and less time doing the stuff that if you're honest with yourself, you can't stand, <laughs> you can't stand doing, you just do it because you just have to, and you're competent at it. And that's the struggle. And so you're right. It's self-awareness. It's, uh, you know, I know a bunch of people who, who go and take the Colby A score, which you can do online, which starts to point you towards what you're innately good at. I've known some people who then send out an email to 10 of their closest friends and say, can you tell me what you think yeah. I'm great at? And I've done that years ago. And I was shocked at the stuff that came back. It's not stuff that I, I was aware of or thought of or even thought that other people saw that in me. Right. And yet, it was a consistent theme across the, the 10 or 12 people that I wrote to. Yeah. Um, getting that type of perspective then starts to point you to, huh, okay, now that I have some understanding about what it is and just thinking about spending more and more of my time doing it, is exciting to me. How does that change what I do in my career and, and my work? Yeah, that stuff is so important. And uh, I love what you said about spending more and more time doing the things that you're good at and that you enjoy. 
and outsourcing that other stuff that you're not good at. I don't know if you've ever read uh, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks or The Joy yeah. of Genius. And uh, I've had him on the podcast a couple of times to talk about that. It, it's so important. And I've taken that to heart and started to try to do more of that as well. I just hired a virtual assistant for the first time and I'm starting to outsource a lot of things to her. And so I can spend more of my time focusing on the things that I'm good at and that I enjoy, like podcasting, you know, host, uh, having interviews like this and learning from people and, and putting different things into action. And so I just think that stuff is, it's so important for people to really think about what are you good at and get that perspective from other people. Like you said, it's a little bit scary sometimes to put that out there and ask people, right? Because you're afraid yeah, that sure. they're going to they're gonna come back and say, well, yeah, we don't really think you're good at anything. But <laughs> right. you're really, you're, you're a great cook or, you know, <laughs> you're kind well, chances to animals. Are, chances are they're not going to do that. They're going to come back and tell you the things that you are good at. And some of them, like you said, might be a surprise to you. It might be something that you haven't really thought about. And uh, so it's going to give you that perspective and idea of where to focus. And then you can start to look at outsourcing uh, to, you know, whether it's an assistant or hiring someone to run sales or bringing in a, a player coach like you, Howard, to pick up some things during a certain period of time and help you get things done. Um, this is a lot of things you can do, but it starts with, like you said earlier, it starts with the admission that, you know, I'm not good at some things, right. I'm really good at other things. I, I think entrepreneurs appreciate and understand that time is valuable. They also appreciate the concept of, of leverage. The trick is, where do I want to create leverage? Yep. If I just am trying to constantly create leverage for the sake of creating leverage and saving time for the sake of creating time, I'm not really being efficient about it. If I can figure out where I'm supposed to be spending my time and where I'm not supposed to be spending my time, then I can create leverage in the right way and start to think about, well, what are all the activities that I'm doing that are not my unique ability that don't light me up? And then one by one, can I automate this? Can I outsource this? Is there somebody who, who would love to do this and I'm actually keeping them from doing something that they'd love to do? There, there are people who love to do detail work. I'm not yep. one of them. Me neither. But there are people who, if they had to do conceptual work and strategy work and this kind of stuff that I do, would rather chew on glass. So the goal is to say, okay, but there's somebody though who would who would sit in front of a spreadsheet or would dig through details or who, who would put together infinite project management lists and follow up diligently on every little thing and have all the little pieces put together and be incredibly fulfilled by doing it. And so you want to find those people and you want to figure out what their innate abilities are and feed them that. And that creates a good combination that creates good partnerships that creates good employees that are fulfilled because management and managers and business owners are thinking about how to have employees that are fulfilled in the work that they do and putting them in the right seats for them to succeed. Can't put somebody who's an introvert into a prospecting position just because you needed to fill a seat. If you could take the time to figure out and ask every employee, what part of the job do you love the most? Why? And move the pieces around on the chessboard so that people are in the right seats, the performance of your business goes sky high. And ultimately, the amount of time that you're spending putting out fires goes way down. And you, and you free up time for you to do what you want. But the standard position is somebody leaves a company and you quickly scramble to find anybody with a pulse to come in and fill a seat. Right. 
and you spent, and, and just putting out fires, putting out fires, putting out fires. And that becomes the way in which you operate your business is just what you sit down at your desk and you think about what fires do I have to put out today and do that for enough years. And that just becomes your management style. And you have a business that is in the, is in the fire business. Yeah. As opposed to stopping and saying, okay, I don't want to do this. This is a, you know, good, this is a, we're, we're recording this towards the very end of 2018 as everybody's starting to settle out their year and starting to think about what they want to do in 2019. And so I'm not much for resolutions, but to start to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make a different choice next year in getting off of this uh, hamster wheel. Yeah. Our last question, uh, because we do have to wrap things up here, uh, but what you're talking about is people making big changes in how they operate, whether it's running a business or a, you know, an organization. And there's a lot of fear that's generally associated with making a big change for a lot of people. You know, if I outsource to other people, will they do it right? If I fail and you know, I change how I work and I fail, what will people think of me? What do you think is the key to getting past that fear to make that change? Fuck your pride. <laughs> right? It's, it, that's a lot of that is pride. Yep. It's not so much that what if they screw it up? It's what if they do it better than I did? Mm. And look, I don't think anybody should make moves that would put the company at risk. But as long as you protect that the, the downside risk of failing is not fatal, then once you've, once you've made those assurances and done some thinking to make sure that the downside isn't so bad, then, then the only thing stopping you from doing it is what people will think about you if you tried something and, and failed. Which is all about and, pride and ego. Yep. And it's not helping you. It's hurting you. It's behind many great failures is ego and pride. Yep. That's all it is. Uh, Howard, this has been great for anybody listening who wants to uh, get in touch with you, connect with you, find your book. Uh, where's the best place for them to do that? Howardman.com with two N's, H-O-W-A-R-D-M-A-N-N.com. And actually, if you uh, join a little newsletter uh, that I put out, which is actually called the FYP newsletter, and you can now probably figure out what the FYP stands <laughs> nice. for. Love uh, it. <laughs> I actually shoot you my book and as a PDF, so you can uh, grab it. It's a quick uh, read with meant to be a little concise read to hopefully kickstart some ideas. Oh, awesome. I'll have to check that out because uh, I am a very, uh, you know, proud, competitive, ego-driven person that's trying to stop being that, that way so that I can, uh, you know, be more vulnerable and ask for help. So um, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Howard, and sharing your experience and your advice and your wisdom. It's been just really interesting and, and valuable for me. And I think it has been for our listeners as well. So thanks again for coming on the Andy Storch Show. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. All right. Take care.